you guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning.
Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Sorry, I was talking with my wife. She's interesting. I just, I, I know I'm going to get in trouble for that somehow. How are you guys doing? Did you, are you having a nice spring break? Some of you had it last week. Some of you going to have it next week. Some of you watching online are having it right now. We are glad. I hope you're having a great spring break. We kind of rested this week because we had a, le a wedding last weekend. It took. They're married. It is so good to have a married son. Now I have a daughter looking for a godly man. So raise your boys. Raise your boys up. Raise them to be men of God. That's a different message. Sorry. I can start this morning. It's so good to see you. Uh, would you take your worship guides for a second and, and let me highlight some things. We're actually going to have a, a, an announcement in a moment here, an elder announcement. Uh, Kevin Hudson and Mark Strong are going to come up. 
and uh, do that in a moment. But let me highlight some things. Um, uh, next Saturday is a uh, reception for Zach and Hannah. We realized that there were about 85, 90 people at the wedding. It was a small wedding in Fort Worth. And we wanted to do something where the whole church was invited. And that is next Saturday. Uh, it is in here uh, in the worship guide from 2 to 4, right in the entryway here. We're going to have cake and everything. Just come. Would you just come and shake their hands and hug their necks and meet Hannah and, and kiss on Zach because you'll never see him again. And, and that's what happens. You become a pastor. He keeps saying, Dad, I'm so excited for you to come to my church on a Sunday morning. I'm like, I work Sundays, son. I it's not easy to it's not easy to do that. So, uh, but uh, anyway, he said uh, he was telling me he texted me this morning a picture of their stage. He's at Fellowship Church. You know, it's a huge church and it's real seeker driven and everything. And on their stage this morning, they've put a full size basketball court because they're doing a theme, uh, March Madness theme. And I said, all I've got on the stage is Jesus, son. I, I don't. Yeah, yeah. And there goes the service. I was a little arrogant there. I was. Uh, I'm just kidding. We, we, we were kind of teasing back and forth and, and all. But uh, anyway, so next Saturday, would you all come? Would you just stop in for five minutes? This is not a you have to be there the whole time. You can come in jeans. You can come in shorts. Actually, with the weather in Texas, you'll need to bring both. But, uh, but sh show up next Saturday, 2 to 4. Just, just hug their necks. This is, this is just for you all. This is this, a chance for you raise Zach. We, um, I, know, I know churches become big business and all that stuff, but I you know, we invest in our kids. I mean, we, we raise up these kids to be godly men and women, and I'm serious about raising up godly men and women that can marry. I, I don't know. There's all these things. You, we just don't expect people to meet in church anymore. We want them to meet in church. We want them to get married. We want to disciple and continue to grow, and that's our hope for you if you've got little kids. I, I, I'm not ashamed to say I'm hoping to marry your kids off to to another young man or young woman uh, of the opposite gender in our church. I have to throw that in now today, but... Uh, but be, man, uh, so, so please come Saturday and uh, keep praying for Josh. Remember Josh Ferguson? He's one of our missionaries out in, uh, he had, uh, out in Chicago, and, and uh, he had a seizure a few weeks ago. And they're doing the medical stuff, and everything's coming back good. But uh, keep praying. He can't drive for another month. Uh, the laws require that if you have one. And, and they're kind of afraid they'll never find out what it was. And uh, so that's kind of scary, too. So continue to pray for them. Um, uh, those are just some family things. So next Saturday, don't forget that. Also in here, if you've been coming to Carpenter's Way and you'd like to know more about our church or become a member on April 7th, that Sunday morning, we're going to have a new members class. Uh, and that coincides, it parallels with the time of church. So there's children's ministry. After the service, if you have any question, I'll be up front and I'd love to answer it. I also want to highlight that uh, with summer camp coming up and different things, we've got to hire a team going on. This helps them pay for camp. We've got a lot of families that can't afford uh the expense of those kind of things. And uh, we do give scholarships away, and that's good, but we also want the kids to raise money, so we're trying to help. So maybe it's this time of the year. We've been working in our yard. Maybe you've got some painting you want done or some yard work you want done. I want to remind you, every year somebody wants us to contract an addition onto their house. These are teenagers, and you get what you deserve. So here are the instructions if you want to hire a team. Give graciously, expect little, but they will work hard. And work with them. Build a relationship with these teenagers. You have nothing in common with these teens except your leaves. So 
So wrap your arms around them. These kids need to be loved. But uh, but I, I, is Jeff, uh, Jeff isn't doing the sound this morning, so I don't I don't uh, know if he has anything he'd want to add. But but we just just you understand this is to raise money, and this is not just to give money. We want the kids to work. So if this is something that might help you, we will uh, make sure that happens. You can put the information there. I think the rest of the stuff you can read. Uh, there's ministry opportunities. But I'm real excited for Kevin to come on up. Kevin Hudson is the chairman of our elder board, and Mark Strong. Uh, is a member of our elder board, and uh, they're going to share some stuff with you. And no, I'm not quitting. Sorry, you're stuck with me. Good morning. Um, would just like to encourage each and every one of you to continue to um, think about us and pray for us as the leaders of your church. We are constantly working on ways to make us um, grow and expand and improve and as we've talked about many times from uh, the front of the church one of the issues that we've had for quite a while is our restrooms and we've been working on ways to improve that so I wish you to continue to um, ask us for discernment and for guidance from God as we grow and as we expand and as we uh, take on more and more of our mission work and uh, the other um, issues within the church that we as a group of leaders would ask for discernment for each and every step that we take. Uh, I want to read to you a verse that encourages us regarding this, and that's Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I think for each and every one of us, and especially the leaders of the church, we ask that you pray for us, that we do receive discernment of the will of God for each and every one of us. Can we pray? O God, by whom we are guided in judgment, and who raises up for us light in the darkness, grant us in all our doubts and uncertainties the grace to ask what you would have us to do, that your spirit of wisdom may save us from all false choices, and your straight path we may not stumble. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So I'm going to ask Mark Strong to come up and give us some more specific information regarding our upcoming um, improvements. We're going to be talking about the new bathrooms that we're working on. Um, we're going to be doing a demo of what we now call the Annex. There will be the Adult Discipleship Wing, and we're going to have some hazardous waste removal as part of that. Um, so we're going to have um, the architectural oversight of Goodwin, Strong, and Lassiter involved in that process. Um, and that will be taking place very shortly. We do have an additional $200,000 to raise to complete this project. That means finishing the adult discipleship um, area. So if anyone this morning wants to donate an additional $200,000 above and beyond their normal giving, then we can go ahead and complete this project now and move forward from there. Um, if not, we would encourage you to uh, continue to give to the building fund as you're able. 
again, above and beyond our normal giving and our um, um, budgetary process. And please do continue to pray for each of us as uh, leaders in the church, both the elders and the deacons, uh, especially the finance committee as we go forward with this process. So we're going to ask Mark Strong to come up and give us a little more information about the upgrades. Thank you, Kevin. Good morning. Uh, if you remember a few months back, we had some drawings out on the table to kind of explain what we're going to be doing in the months ahead, uh, kind of a master plan. And uh, if you remember, that included, of course, the restrooms and also some uh, new renovations to the annex facility for more classroom space and then a few upgrades to the lobby area and, and just a few miscellaneous things. Uh, the great news is, is that we've raised enough money to do one of the bigger portions of the project, which is the restrooms. And Bill, if I could get you to kind of put that up on the screen, PowerPoint we've got on the restrooms. Just to refresh your memory, um, we're expanding the restrooms and essentially doubling the size of what we have now and doubling the amount of fixtures. What you see in green is actually where the Haley's classroom, where we meet on Sunday mornings now for Bible study. That will be converted into women's restrooms and the, the existing men's and women's restrooms now will be converted into just men's restrooms. And then a portion at the back that you see in the light blue will be for children's restrooms that are, that are open off the back hall. So I'm sure you're very excited to know that we're going to have fresh new restrooms and we're going to be able to double the capacity that we have for those facilities. So it's, it's a great thing and, and we've got the money to do that. Um, also, we have uh, money in the project to do the demolition on the interior portion of the annex. And that's really just to, to kind of clean that area out since the majority of it's not being used right now and just to, to see what we've got so we can plan uh, those classrooms a little bit better. There's also a little bit of hazardous material over there in that section. It's mainly in the floor glue that holds the floor tiles down. That needs to be taken out so there's some cost involved with that. So the cost of what we're doing now for the restroom renovation, it's about $208,000. For the demolition portion over on the annex, that's uh, about $31,700. And then to do the abatement of the hazardous materials is about $7,500. So that comes to $247,200. So, you know, we've got $360,000 raised already, so that's good news. We can pay for that in cash and then we can move on uh, to continue to raise that money to, to do the rest of the work. So Langston Construction has been helping. As we've been developing plans, they've been developing the budget, so they've helped us with these numbers, and we feel like those are good, solid numbers to get the work done. So we're excited to, we're to this point. So, uh, Mark? All right, so one of the things uh, that we want to keep before you is what's going on. Uh, because it's not our church, it's, it's, it's y'all's church. It's, it's us doing this together. And, and uh, your giving, we talked for the month of February, your giving uh, has allowed us to do an enormous amount of mission work, uh, international mission work, local mission work, on top of what we do here. I mean, this is a mission compound. I asked you a couple weeks ago, how many of you are saved as a direct result of missions? And two of you raised your hands. And the truth is all of us should because the mother church is Jerusalem. And, and uh, we're doing mission work here. And, and it is important that we keep our facility safe and clean for what God has us to do in the future. And discipleship, as you know, is, is core to what we do. So it's exciting. We've, we've put in the last uh, 10 or 11 years, we've put a lot of money into the children's wing to make it more secure, to make it cleaner, to make it safer. 
Uh, we've done that with the student room down at the end. And, and now, God willing, uh, as we're able, we need bathrooms. There's always a line at the women's bathrooms. I, I don't know why they take so long, but uh, it would be so much cheaper if you go before you come. But I can't get you to do all that. Um, I'm just kidding. The way we go through coffee here, it's amazing. We don't always have, a, have an intermission. <laughs> but but uh, this will solve that a little bit, and we're excited about that. Um, in the, for the time being, one other thing we want to make you aware of is there were two phases to this project. It was the adult discipleship wing and the bathrooms, and then the next phase was going to be the front of the building and the entryway. We have decided for the time being we want to put more thought and prayer into the front of the building, so there isn't a phase two at this point. Uh, this will comp uh, Half of the project will be done now for cash. How cool is that? I mean, seriously, we don't, own we don't owe anything on this building. We don't owe anything. We have, you, you guys have paid for this building. This is our home owned outright. And uh, now we're going to be able to do the bathrooms and own them outright. It's always good to own a commode. That's an important thing. <laughs> so we're glad to have that. And as soon as we're able to raise uh, the final $200,000, we will get that done. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a piece of property that we have for sale. If God were to allow us to sell that, that would allow us to do it in cash, and that would leave us some money left over to actually start planning a final phase. We, when, when we do the front, it's never going to be flashy. The picture of me will be done in black and white that we're going to have up front, but uh, the one of Julie will be in color. No, um, it's going to be very humble, but it will be attractive. You know, we're, we're setting this up for the next 20 years is what we're doing, and we want it to be functional and clean and, and not over the top. So we will continue to have foibles in this building, but what a blessing. This building reminds me of us, imperfect but redeemed, right? That was really, really good. We're going to have to get a church sign now. But uh, anyway, that's where we're at. And, and, and honestly, I know, I know when you walk into a place like this, it feels like, oh, that's great. It's getting done. It does not get done without you giving. <laughs> there is not there is not a, max, an, a, a magic pool of water where we get money. It just doesn't happen. So thank you for your giving. I mean, we're, we're going to do this with cash. And uh, uh, like, like Mark said, we're going to gut that, uh, what will be the adult discipleship wing. And uh, when, when the money is raised, uh, there will be, a, just to let you know what happens then, we'll finish that, that wing. So that will be between the student room and here. That will all be adult discipleship. The question many of you are going to ask, is there, gonna be in, is there going to be interior access to that? The answer is no. Uh, there's about a two-foot step down, and that would be really expensive to do a walkway. So as Texans, you're pretty tough, uh, and it's overhang. You'll just have to walk 10 feet out and go in. Uh, and the other thing we're going to do is what is now the overflow room. That is going to be turned into a storage, interior storage area uh, that has climate control. Um, the Haley's class will be meeting in here while we're doing the renovations. But then, of course, they'll move into the adult discipleship wing. Oh, and the other thing is, what is now the college room will be turned into a nursing room uh, for, for young mothers. Carpenter's Way is extremely fertile. Thank the Lord. We love church growth. We do. I, I don't know which of these things I'm going to have to apologize for. So feel free. Feel free to text Jeff because he filters them out and brings them to me if necessary. Anyway, that's where we're at. So uh, we're 200 grand away from, um, from finishing this, and uh, I know we all giggle because most of us can't imagine having that kind of cash, but if the Lord has given you that, um, I want to do one of those, I feel somebody out there has a million dollars. It's a seven-figure number. I feel it right now. And I, then you, but I, I can't do that because I really don't think that's from the Lord. But um, if, you, if, if there's 200,000 burning in your pocket, then uh, I know where to spend it. Uh, Kevin Hudson knows.
I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward <laughs> this time. Okay. For those of you watching on the internet, that's called accountability. It was not planned. That's Chad saying, move on, son. All right. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and apologize now for 80% of what I just said. So, all right. Let's, let's thank the Lord for our gathering. Father, thank you that we can get together this morning and, and worship you and put our focus on you. And Lord, we are very much a family. This is our, this is our home, Father. Your home is in our hearts. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is our home, and, and we don't want our home to be a distraction for visitors or those who want to worship here or even us. So I thank you for the resources that these men and women are willing to volunteer uh, to give out of their hearts. Father, uh, I thank you for our home that's paid for. I thank you for the, the cash that we're able to do this, not go into debt. Lord, I, 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 I thank you just for where we are as a church, for the discipleship, the growth that's taking place. I thank you for our missionaries, Father, that are spanning the globe today, serving you, planting churches, sharing Christ and hope, and helping those here in this community with Christ in crisis pregnancy or ladies who, who need to find work because they have been found themselves in crisis situations. And men, Father, thank you that we can participate financially and personally in these ministries. We are blessed to be your children. We're blessed to serve you. And as the world is in chaos, may we bring order through the power of the Holy Spirit. May we bring hope, Father. I thank you for this morning, for our chance to get into your word in a few moments. I pray you'd encourage us as we meet around the communion table. And Lord Jesus, uh, continue to provide for us as you have seen fit in the past. We trust you for that. We know you will. And I pray you bless your people as they bless us financially. In Jesus' name, amen. play passes and the Lord welcome to stand and worship with us.
And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears about today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean sing that again I stand amazed in the
by the God who was in by the God who's yet to come, and we remember how you saved, we recall the lost were found, you were present yesterday, you are moving And we will not forget, Lord, you are faithful. You're not finished yet, there's more to come. And we'll keep pressing on, and this will be our song. And we will not forget through the valley.
Father, help us not to forget. Help us not to even focus on what you've done, but may we, may we press forward, Father, knowing that the best is yet to come. What's about to happen, is it just, there's just no way for us to measure that. The best is yet to come. We look forward to heaven, Father. We look forward to a closer relationship with you. We look forward to understanding you more and trusting you more. So help us to do just that. Father, we do believe in you. Now help us with our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, as we sang that song, I was thinking to myself that uh, as we go through the story of Jesus' life, uh, I hope you begin to see that. The disciples constantly, the followers of Jesus, constantly struggled with what, they were going, what was going on in their lives. They would look back and they would see God's faithfulness, but man, they struggled with what he was about to do in the moment. And, and, and you know, in, in order to live in joy, in order to live in hope, we have to take our eyes off of what we feel and what we're experiencing and put them on what God has promised. The struggle for the believer, and, and I need you to think on this because this, can, this is a difficult thing and you can wrestle with this, you can even disagree, but you've got to do it from Scripture. The, the problem for the child of God is not sin. We have been forgiven. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9 says. We are forgiven. The problem with the Christian life, at least in my experience and looking at the scriptures and talking to many of you, is trusting him. We trust him for eternity. We don't have a choice. We can't do nothing about that. We can't live forever. So we trust him with that. But boy, trusting him with life, that's hard. That is actually supernatural. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this morning, we're going, as we prepare for our time around the table, we're going to take a bit of our, a break from our chronological look at the life of Christ to, uh, to, to take communion together. And I, I wanna, I'm going to do this periodically because I, I want to share with you kind of a concern. Um, you understand that you have an enemy. We have an enemy, and he is very effective. Lucifer will use anything to take our eyes off of Jesus. You know that, right? I mean, he will. He will use Christianity he will use morality. He will use religion in order to take our eyes off of Jesus. You know that, right? And one of the weaknesses of having a study about Jesus is we start looking for these truths to confirm what we believe, and then we feel good about what we believe, but you realize in feeling good about what you believe, you miss the one in whom you believe. This really is all about Jesus. He is the Savior. As we step towards Easter and Resurrection Sunday, the theme this year of Resurrection Sunday is the veil is ripped. That, that wasn't an accident. You're going to see as we walk through the life of Jesus, he constantly said, I'm going to tear this temple down that you've built and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. And he's talking about himself. He is the temple. He is our advocate. He is the one that we go to to find redemption. He's the one we go to for strength. He's the one we go to with life freakouts, scary moments. Jesus Christ is the one, and there's no replacement for him. 
There's no replacement for him. Although the church tries really hard to find a replacement. Ministries, programming, pastors, uh, counselors, lots of people that can give you good ideas and good things. But sometimes we forget that Jesus Christ is the answer to the real questions and problems of our life. So this morning, I wanted to share with you something that the Lord's been laying on my heart, kind of a warning for this series, kind of a warning for our lives as evangelical Christians in this time. And I want to take you right to the story, and it's one that's familiar with you. It's in Luke chapter 17. Jesus and the boys are heading back to Jerusalem after his three years of ministry. Jesus dies on the cross between three and three and a half years into his ministry. It isn't a long time. And they're heading to Jerusalem for his purpose. His time has come, the text says. And whenever you hear, my time has come, whenever you see, whenever the text tells you that he's heading to Jerusalem, it's not so you know where he's going, it's because you understand what's about to happen. It's time. So they're heading back to Jerusalem after about three years of ministry. While walking and talking, Jesus is preparing his disciples with what is about to take place. Big changes are on the horizon. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be killed. He is going to be in the grave for, the, uh, for two and a half days. On the third day, he will rise from the dead. He will only be with them for 40 more days or so, and then he will ascend into heaven. He is going to leave them. He is going to send his Holy Spirit, and that is going to be a radical change, not just in their experience, but in their lives as a whole. Big changes when this takes place in John 17. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance. So some background information. Leprosy was a huge health and spiritual problem in Hebrew communities. Uh, for those of us who've been reading through the Bible this last year, uh, since January, you, uh, you, you endured all of the laws, the Levitical laws on cleansing. Uh, Jews, Hebrews were not allowed to worship God ceremonially or in the temple area or in the tabernacle area if they were ceremonially unclean. Uh, that could happen by touching a dead body, by touching blood from a dead body, touching blood, uh, touching any kind of bodily fluids. Uh, uh, but there was another thing that made you ceremonial unclean, and one was certain diseases, and one was leprosy. If you remember, and, and I, I don't want to get into all the that's not fair stuff, because the truth is he's God, he's king, he gets to make these things. But as the king of a nation, he promised that as long as they remain faithful to him, as laid out in the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments expanded, as long as they remain faithful to those Ten Commandments, not Americans, Hebrews, Jewish people, the people of God, that they would never get sick, they would never die, that their land would flow with milk and honey, he would protect them, that none of their sons would die in battle, none of their women would die in childbirth. And one of the ways in which the people of Israel knew that they were out of a covenant relationship with God, that they had broken that covenant, one of the ways in which they were made aware of that is by leprosy. All of that is to say this, that if you got leprosy in the Hebrew commun communities, then it was a sin problem. They would assume that. It was a sin problem. And so in order to be... Uh, uh, brought back. If you had leprosy, you were, committed, uh, you were considered ceremonially unclean, and until you went to a priest, and the priest said that you were acceptable now to go through the ceremonial washings, you could not re-enter Hebrew society. And as God intended it, please understand that at the center of all things Jewish, even to this day, is Jehovah God. Even to atheistic Jews, they still celebrate Passover. They've redefined it, 
But God is at the center of every festival, of everything that's done in Jewish culture and Jewish community, even to this day, God is at the center of it, whether they accept it or not. That is exactly how God wanted it. He wanted to be their king. He wanted to be their purpose. He wanted to be their everything. So you have these, uh, so the life of a leper is difficult, not just because you have leprosy that will eventually kill you, but if by chance you're healed, you have to go back to the priest to be declared ceremonially clean and re-enter society. In Galilean communities, Hebrew communities in Galilee at this time, if you had leprosy, you could not remain. You could enter city during the days, but you had to declare yourself and keep a certain amount of distance depending on the community in which you were in. You would have to declare. If somebody was walking down the road, you would have to say, I'm unclean unclean, and people would know to stay away from you. If you wanted to commune with a family member, they could come talk to you, but they had to stay a certain number of feet away from you, kind of the street, a street distance, probably 25 or 50 feet. You had to scream what your communication was. Nobody wanted to be near you, not just because of your disease and, and the infectious nature of that disease, but also because you were a, a sinner and therefore um, you were being shunned. They had to stay at a long distance. So leprosy, at the end of the day in a Galilean Hebrew community, when the gates of a city were closed for protection after at dusk, you had to leave town and you would be in what is called the leper colony. You've heard of that. And these were people of all races, histories. Uh, they had uh, all, all men and women. They would all commune together to protect each other in these communities. And all having leprosy, they would hang out together. They had one thing in common, leprosy. So as Jesus was entering a village, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance and yelled out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. These folks were desperate. They were desperate in a way that we can't even fathom. Not only were these 10 men dying of a horrible skin disease, but they were socially rejected, and I can't say that enough. Lonely, spiritually outcast since this disease is a direct result of sin in their lives based upon the Old Testament. Completely alone, except for their community of outcasts. Side note, you may feel this is where you live today because of your race, your socioeconomic status, your parents, your spouse, the job that you have. You may feel socially outcast in the community in which you are born or live. I just want to say you're not the first in history to feel that. You're not the first, and you won't be the last. It's more common than you think. From this story, it's obvious that these lepers had heard about Jesus. The rabbi who had been known to heal, and having run out of other options, and seeing him walk near them, they plead for him to solve this horrible problem that was presently ruining their lives and eventually will take their lives. So at a distance, they give this rabbi a shot and they yell out to him, have mercy on us, which means take away our leprosy. Show mercy to us. You have been healing others, now heal us. If you're really who you claim to be, and we believe you to be that. They called him master. We believe you to have this kind of authority. Please. You see, these 10 lepers had a problem. And the biggest problem in their life is this leprosy that was not just ruining their physical future, but was, phys was affecting them socially as well. And they are begging God to solve it. 
You may feel the outcast, sick, without hope, broke, desperate for human touch that you can't find. So did these guys. And after trying everything else, they run to Jesus. How is what you're trying working for you? Look, we, we live in a time, and I, I do not want this morning to be political, but, but you know, the truth hits every angle. And those of us who are conservative have a tendency to act like the government's and legal process can fix everything. It cannot. But I'd like to say that the backlash that is now happening, especially those of you who are millennials, and I know you hate that term, but be offended by it for a moment, I want to make it clear that you will not solve the problems of the world by solving the problems of the world. These guys had tried everything, and they had one last shot. This rabbi that they had heard rumors about and maybe seen, he's their last shot. And so they run to him. If you are here this morning and you are angry because of your race or because of white privilege or because of your socioeconomic status or because you are an illegal or because everybody's treating you wrong or you were bullied in fifth grade, whatever your pain, I want you to know that the people around you have, have pain that may not be the same as yours. And we are now living in a time when Satan is getting you to obsess over your pain. Run to Jesus. Well, how is he going to help me overcome the fact that I was sexually abused as a child? He'll take your focus off your sexual abuse. There is a point at which you have to run to Jesus because he's your hope. He is your hope. For those of you whose marriages are bad, your answer is not a better therapist, although that's a good process by which to become healthy. Your answer is Jesus. And these guys came to the place where they realize he's their answer. He's their only answer. And by some crazy good fortune, for those of you who believe in pure free will, or divine inter intervention, for those of us who believe in God's sovereignty, Jesus comes walking into town and they cry out to him. Master, save us. Verse 14 says he looked at them and he said, go show yourselves to the priests. Now, for Americans, that's a kind of a strange instruction. We expect the Jesus of that picture to run over and touch their sores. We expect him to, to spit on his hands and have them all go away or to hug them. This wasn't an unusual request. This wasn't a strange thing for him to instruct. In fact, it was based upon the law. They approached him legally. They approached him at a distance. They approached him identifying him as the one sent from God who can actually solve their Old Testament problem, not just their physiological problem. And Jesus responds to them by the law. He responds to them by saying, go and show yourselves to the priest. This was exactly what they expected to hear from a rabbi. This is exactly what he should have said. But what is ironic is the fact that their skin is literally falling off, and we don't know how advanced their disease was, but their skin is falling off. He looks at them and he says, go and show yourselves to the priest, which is the Old Testament command. He tells them to follow the Old Testament law, that he's going to take care of it. It tells us that their skin was not healed at that moment, but it does tell us that they went at the end of verse 14, and they were cleansed of their leprosy in transit. So in other words, they call out to this guy who's a rabbi, hey, remember us, save us, 
cleanse us, help us, have mercy on us. And Jesus looks at him, and as he's looking at him, he says, go show yourselves to the priest. They don't argue with him. They don't wrestle with him. It tells us that they're heading on to the priest. They trusted that he could solve their problem. Very important for how I want to wrap up this morning. And what is interesting is the 10 lepers that have faith enough to believe that Rabbi Jesus can heal them actually go, and while they're traveling, they're healed. They believed in him enough to do what he said. They had faith he could heal their diseases. But here's where the story gets pointed, as you already know. One of them, verse 15 says, when he saw that he was healed, so all 10 are going to back. All 10 are heading to the priest, even this one. And as they're heading to the priest, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting. It doesn't tell us that he ran to Jesus. You just infer that. But it does tell us he was shouting, Jesus, praise God. Praise God. And it tells us that he fell at the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. So this guy, ten men come to Jesus to be healed of their physical, their most pressing need, physical, social issue. Jesus tells them to turn and go show themselves to the priest, which he should have told them to do. As they're on their way back, they're healed. But of all the men that were healed, all ten are healed, but only one loses his brain in thankfulness so quickly that he runs to Jesus. He forgets the law. He falls at his feet. He forgets the distance. He clings to Jesus. I'm adding that. He clings to Jesus' feet, and he thanks him and thanks him and thanks him. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your healing. As if to ask for more from him. The other nine, who, by the way, I want to remind you, were Hebrew men. It tells us in this text, Jesus points it out, grew up in a Hebrew culture. That means that every one of them grew up in Hebrew school. Every one of them. By this time in history, Jews spoke Aramaic. That was the given language of the day. Jesus didn't speak Hebrew. He did speak it. But that wasn't the language he communicated, and it was Aramaic. That's what people spoke. Like English all over the world today, it was Aramaic. These men grew up studying Hebrew for the sake of Hebrew children learn Hebrew so that they can study the Old Testament Scriptures. That's the only reason to learn Hebrew. They grew up learning Hebrew. How can you say that? Because they were Hebrew men. They grew up studying Hebrew, which means they grew up studying the Hebrew law. They read Isaiah, which is very clear that the Messiah will come and save people, not just from their sins, but also heal their diseases. You've heard those verses? We like to throw them around Facebook all the time. He wants to heal disease, that he will make the blind to see and the lame to walk, and the mute will speak. Those are promises in Scripture. And at this point in history, not only had the disciples seen this, but these men had already heard the rumors of him. But they weren't looking to him as a spiritual Messiah. They wanted what every other Jew wanted. They wanted healing. They wanted this man who was the healer, who was probably, in their minds, the fulfillment of the Old Testament covenant, probably the Messiah. They wanted him to heal them of their diseases. And I want to add nothing more. When he does that, when he heals them of leprosy, nine of them go on to the priest because now the priest is the one that solves their greatest need. Not God. Because in their time, Judaism was the solution to the Jews of all their spiritual needs. That is, by, by the way, the problem with the Jews. 
The Jews wanted Jesus even on Palm Sunday, as I've told you, and from the beginning of his ministry, they wanted him to feed them. They wanted health care. They wanted the Romans overruled. They wanted everything that they wanted. They wanted all of the problems of the Mosaic Covenant without him being their God. They wanted everything we want, everything the socialist wants. That's what Jesus offered. That's what they asked him for. But Jesus said, I didn't come to just give you food that will fill your stomach. You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Remember that message? Jesus is saying, I brought you food that will never leave you hungry again. I, out of me, he said to the Samaritan woman, will spring wellspring of life. There will be water that will never leave you thirsty again. The truth is, though, the Jews didn't want water that would never leave them thirsty. They wanted water that would keep producing water so that they could always drink whatever water they wanted to drink. You see, at this point in the story, one of them, verse 15 says, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God, and he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. And Jesus takes notes of this because in verse 17, Jesus asked him, didn't I, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this heathen? You're not even a Jew. I mean, the law doesn't even apply to you. I think Jesus is even asking, why were you heading to the priest? I mean, I know I told you to do it, but it's not going to benefit you at all. I mean, you're not part of Jewish society. You're not allowed in the temple courts unless you're circumcised, and then maybe in the, in the Gentile part of the court. But seriously, only one comes back, oh, and he's a foreigner, and Jesus said to this man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you completely. This is a big deal. And I'd like to say this is where we live today, in the church, in the evangelical middle class church. Let me tell you why. It is not uncommon for the evangelical church today, and I refer you to Facebook posts of all of your Christian friends. It is not uncommon for us today, knowing who God is and what He is capable of, having grown up being taught and convinced of who He is and what He can do in our lives, it is not uncommon for us only to run to Jesus when we need Him to help us with our biggest, scariest human problems. On Facebook, in the media, in our rhetoric, we often seek social and physical healing from Jesus and nothing more. Like with these ten lepers, we run to Jesus as the final and only real solution to our felt crises. And honestly, He often solves those problems for us, whether it be through a medical doctor or it be through the sale of a house or a better job. They work themselves out, whether it's divine intervention or divine providence over time. They usually work themselves out until they don't, and then we don't care because we're in heaven. And what do we do when they work themselves out? We most often go on with our lives. We walk to the priest as if that, was, that hurdle is over, and we're pretty good with God until the next big crisis comes, and then we call on the divine Calvary to solve our great emotional or physical crisis. You see, we don't really see Jesus as the point of our issue. We see our physical illness, our leprosy, our social injustices. And by the way, I'm speaking to those of us today on both the right and the left. I usually bang on the right more than the left. That makes some of you think that I'm liberal in my politics. The reason I pick on the right more than the left is because I am conservative in my politics. And we're blind on a lot of stuff, like mercy. I, I know we can argue this all day, but the truth is, legal, illegal, we are called to love people. However, my liberal-minded friend, 
If your life is devoted to saving the whales or your life is devoted to saving the illegal immigrant, you are still missing the point. The goal of our life on this earth is not to save the planet or even to save the whales or to save the immigrant. Our goal is to reach people for Jesus Christ and proclaim his excellencies and to get to know him. That's our goal. And you can do that whether you are a socialist or a Republican or a libertarian. You can't do it as a hater. I just want to throw that in there. The truth is, everything Jesus does in your life is merely to introduce you to him so that you will dig deeper. The only reason he heals the ten lepers that day is to introduce himself to them. It's not to make them well. (laughs) Sorry. In the book of Acts, it says over and over again that the reason Jesus did miracles was to validate his father's validation on him, saying that this Messiah is actually pretty radical. He's different. He doesn't just make claims. He claims he's God. You see, what my fear is, that we as conservative evangelicals have a tendency to fall in love with evangelical conservatism and miss Jesus. As we go through the chronological study of Christ, it is really easy for us to sit here going, I knew that was true, and high-five ourselves. And look at these stories as a way to validate our preconceived ideas, if we have them, or, or to learn new ideas. But here's where Satan does his best work. If all he does is make us feel better about ourselves, we have missed Jesus even in the truth. You see, Satan is so effective at deceiving and lying to us, he will get us satisfied with truth and not Jesus. Jesus is not a Baptist God. He's not a Catholic God. He's not a Mormon God. He's God. And the obligation of humans are to learn who He is and submit to that whether you like it or not. You are going to find, and maybe shockingly for some of you, or maybe not for the rest of you if you've read the story, there are many times the disciples do not like what Jesus is teaching or doing. Many times. And Jesus pushes their buttons all the time. You going to walk away, Peter? No. Why not, Peter? I mean, Jesus doesn't leave these guys alone. He keeps poking and poking and poking. Jesus is, by definition, a Jewish rabbi jerk. Sorry. That's what they do. It's what you did with your kid. You raised your son not just to know how to mow the grass, but how to run the machine. And to do that, you had to put a screwdriver in his hand. Well, some of you did what my dad did. I remember he was, I've told you this story, but it's been a few years, so I'll tell it again. We had this old white uh, little trashy old lawnmower, white craftsman, the dumb thing wouldn't die. Well, it died once. And my dad, being a mechanical genius or obsessive compulsive disorder problem, you choose, (laughs) he decided he was going to fix it. And I remember standing out there and I, as a 10-year-old kid, was bored watching him fix it. And I noticed that he had the spark plug thing off because, you know, he's cleaning the spark plug and he takes it out and puts it back in. I'm bored. But the spark plug connector is off and it's just sitting out like that. Can Can you picture it? There's a spark plug and right? So it's out. So Mark, 10 years of age, goes, Dad, I know what the problem is. You're laughing because those of you who are mechanical know what's about to happen. He's sick of me saying it, so he says, well, why don't you hold it on there for me, and I'll pull this thing. For those of you who are not mechanical like me, what it does is it sends a non-dangerous shock through your system. So I hold it on there, and he pulls it, and I end up on my butt crying, and he's laughing his head off. You see, he wanted me to understand that he wasn't the idiot that I thought he was. And so, Jesus is constantly saying, do you trust me? 
Well, that's not the question today. The question today is why are you letting the crowd leave? I mean, if we're here to do ministry, Father, then why would we let the crowd leave? If there's nobody to listen, what's our ministry? And Jesus says, do you trust me? Well, yes, I trust you, but that's another discussion for another day. Are you going to keep following me or are you going to go to the crowd? Well, I'm going to keep following you. Why, Peter? Why are you going to follow me? Because you're the only one that offers eternal life. Okay, Peter, then follow me. And by then, Peter's going, I don't know what just happened. That was a weird conversation. That is exactly how God deals with you. We say, heal me, and he does, and sometimes we run back, and most of the time we don't. We go on to the next crisis, or sometimes he doesn't, and then we cry out, why aren't you healing me? I asked for healing, and I get all these verses on the internet and, and take it out of context, but it doesn't matter to me because I like them. So we do all this stuff. We take these promises. We claim things that aren't claimed for us. We just we declare, and we have friends speaking against cancer, which doesn't have ears. We do all this stuff that we do as Christians because we think that God wants us healthy, and I want you to know he doesn't want you healthy. You will die. He wants you holy. There is a difference. You see, to be holy, you don't have to be healthy. To be holy, you don't have to live. To be holy, you have to trust. See, we're supposed to live different. We're not supposed to freak out like the world does. I know we get scared, but that's why we have each other. You see, as we're walking back to the priest and God heals us of our disease, what's supposed to happen is the Samaritan who we respect and love, no matter what his racial background, reminds us, we got to go back and get more from this guy. And, and instead of us going, well, we've, we've known him since birth and we were raised in the church, I can tell you doctrine. Instead of doing all that, we're drugged back to him by somebody else because we need more of Jesus. This healer has more to offer, but not to nine religious worshipers of the Messiah. They just head to the priest. You get it? I mean, everything we always pray for is healing and more money and better jobs. And that's fine. But when God heals, what happens an hour after? Or a week after? Or a month after? Or a year after? What do we do then? Are we okay? Do we just go on with our lives as if there's a, a difference between spiritual life? Do we run to Jesus? And see, as we, as we gather as Carpenter's Way and we study Jesus' life and his message, we're all going to be rocked. I've already been rocked. I've shared with you a few times. I mean, I've studied this book for 33 years, and that's after I grew up in the church. I know these stories backwards and forwards, but I'm remembering how much I don't remember. And I feel good about that. But if all I do is understand the concept of myrrh differently or the fact that the three wise men, there weren't three wise men, but happened about two years of age, if, all of it, if it's just a bunch of facts, I'm missing him. Nine religious Jews go on to the temple to have their problem solved. Only one is overwhelmed by the power of Jesus and he throws it all and he breaks the law and he falls at his feet, and he just says, more. Thank you. Thank you. Bill, I know I'm, I'm messing you up here. I'm going to jump down to verse 17. Jesus asked, <coughs> excuse me, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to that man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. The nine Jews only wanted saving from their present crisis. They weren't worried about the healer. They just wanted, well, they just wanted their life back. They wanted social respect. What about us? As we learn these things about Jesus, do we care about Jesus? 
or just the cool stuff he's done proving we're right in our religion. Don't miss Jesus for Christianity, friends. Don't be so Christian you miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus for social justice, my liberal friends. Satan wants you to be right and to miss him. Don't be so moralistic in your laws that you vote for my conservative friends. That you miss Jesus. Well, Jesus would vote. You, you don't know. Actually, Jesus would only vote if his arm were strung behind his back, a tax collector gathered in front of him. I, we'll get to that. You're going to see Jesus' political action. When forced, he took a coin out of a fish's mouth. But only when forced. We are not here to fix this country or the world. We are here to thank Jesus and introduce as many people as want to know him to him. That's what we're here for. In doing that, we can bless culture by our votes and our compassion. But if we get lost in our votes and our compassion, we miss Jesus. If you win a debate on homosexual marriage, but lose the opportunity to share with a homosexual that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. You have lost the eternal battle. If you, if you keep Trump from building his wall, but your rhetoric has alienated people on the other side who need to understand that it's about people and not laws, you may have won a temporal battle, but you have lost the spiritual war. Both sides, right now, are being misdirected by Satan and the church is even debating whether Christians could be for a wall or against a wall. And why are we playing into that game? Neither Fox News nor CNN has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And this isn't a Christian nation. Nations don't bow. People do. We are a holy nation within a nation telling people that there is hope even with the death of cancer. That there is hope even with a broken political system. That there is hope beyond Trump or AOC. I can't pronounce her name. There is hope in Jesus. Well, I don't like everything Jesus does. He doesn't care. Because he's got a plan. Jeremiah 33, 2 and 3. The Jews did not understand what Jesus was, what Jehovah was doing. This is what the Lord says, the Lord who has made heaven and earth, who formed it and established it, whose name is the Lord. Ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets you don't know about things to come. We now look back in the Old Testament on the things that they didn't know that were to come and I'm here to tell you that nothing's changed. There is so much in the future planned for us. Do we still trust Him? Do we trust him more than the Jews did? Do all these stories about Jesus make you love him and trust him more? Or do they make us more cynical and arrogant? God help us from being cynical and arrogant. Because out there, there are homosexuals and illegals and conservatives and Republicans and libertarians and socialists who need Jesus Christ. Well, I don't like him. This was never about who you liked. It's not about us, it's about Him. And as long as we make God the advocate for our felt needs, He will never be the Savior of the world, or even of us. 
He is not here to make you cancer-free. He's here to make you his child and to use you for his glory for the rest of your life and in eternity enjoy him. God loves you so much, but he loves his plan more. Do we trust him? Are we the nine? Woo! Leprosy gone. Going to reenter society. Or whether we are we the one going, this must be the tip of the iceberg. Thank you, God. I'm going to ask our elders to come forward as we take communion. And it is, in that, it is in that mentality this morning that I want us to take communion. The truth is we struggle with trust. I struggle with trust. I am, I am not the exception. Those of you who know me well know that in my personal hobby, the thing that I'm most effective at is not video games. It's worry. It's my favorite thing to do. I love worrying. Worrying works. Because nothing I've ever worried about at 3 o'clock in the morning ever happened, and I am confident that it's not a waste of time. I'm just here to tell you that it's effective, so keep worrying. Because the stuff that freaks you out at 3 o'clock in the morning never happens. That's how good God is. And He clings on to your worry. He clings to your worry to accomplish great things in your life. How stupid is that message? You should see my book coming out. It's entitled, It's Worse Than You Think. God is so good. And he's got a plan, and you're part of it. You are part of it, and so am I. And I have no idea what's going to happen in 2020. I'm avoiding Fox News like the plague right now because it will freak me out. I don't know if this country is going to go socialist. I don't know if it's going to go conservative. And at this point, I'm reminded greatly that my citizenship is in heaven, so I'm going to invite as many people as I can into that family. I will vote. I will be informed when I vote. And I assure you that you will probably not know how I'm going to vote because it's really none of your business. It is funny. I have people who are convinced I'm a liberal and I, I giggle and then I write them back because I'm arrogant. God isn't conservative or liberal. He isn't Jewish or Gentile. Remember the little story? Is it Gideon? Was it Gideon or Joshua? In the middle of the night, he goes out of camp and he sees the angel of the Lord with the sword drawn. And he says, are you for us or our enemy? And remember what the angel said? Neither. Ooh, whose side are we on? Is he on our side? If we get to heaven and the American flags are strewn all over the throne room of heaven, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> Jesus Christ is not an American. He's not a Jew. Yeah, yeah I know him physically he's a Jew. He's king of his own kingdom. And we get to participate in that. Well, I don't like how he runs his kingdom. Kings don't ask permission. They ask for submission and obedience. Is he worth it to us? He has healed your leprosy. Will you trust him for everything else? Dear Lord, help us to trust you for everything else. I know in this room, Father, there are those of us who are scared and, and, and selfish and and so, and including myself at times, I indulge in my flesh to make me feel better. And then I feel conviction and shame and guilt. And it doesn't make me feel better except in the moment. And I cry out to you for grace. And I'm reminded of your grace. And I'm reminded it's sufficient. And it seems like, Lord, we live in this cycle of self-centered worship. And Lord Jesus, I really do want to make you Lord of all areas. I want to trust you in all areas. And I know these men and women do. So, so today, as we take communion, it is with that in our minds. 
Remind us that you are not just God, but you are a good God with a good plan that can be trusted. Every day may not be good, but you are good. We can trust you. And that you have these unspeakable things in store for us, Father, that we don't, we can't even comprehend, Lord. So help us to stop trying. We will still approach you with, with requests of healing for our cancer and our diseases and our fears and our jobs and money. And you want that. But when you answer, may we not be satisfied with that. Lord, you told us if we were going to be your disciples, we would need to pick up our cross and follow you into Jerusalem. And so this morning as we take communion, we are reminded of the price that you paid for us. Remind us of the price you paid for us. And may we be willing to follow you with cross on shoulder to Galvani. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As they pass the elements out for communion, I would encourage family, those of you who know Jesus, please talk to your father. Even if you're neck deep in sin, if you're in the middle of an adulterous relationship, if you're acting out in homosexuality or same-sex attraction, would you please talk to your father? He's still your dad. Don't avoid him. He's not avoiding you. So would you just take some time and talk to him? For the rest of you, us, who don't know him maybe, I want to talk to you for a second. I want to explain a couple things. The bread that you have is matzah bread. It is uh, unleavened. It is Jewish bread. It's not magical. It does not turn into the blood and body of Christ. It just is bread. And it is broken, just like Jesus broke it in the Last Supper, to remind us that Jesus didn't float down on a holy cloud, sit in the temple, pay the price, and float back up. He actually lived for 33 and a half years among us and was tempted, as Zach taught us a few weeks ago, and, and he struggled with being misunderstood and the death of his cousin. Lots of pain, the same pains you have in this life. But it was worth it to him. It was worth it to put his divine privileges aside so that we could put our hope in him. So that he could be a, a high priest that we could pray to and he would understand. Scripture tells us that he sits at the right hand of the Father, Hebrews tells us, and he, he makes petitions for us to the Dad, to the spiritual Father, to, to, to Jehovah, the first member of the Trinity. He says things to him like, temptation's hard, Father. They're really being tempted. And boy, it must be even more difficult with the sin nature. And Scripture tells us that the Father speaks to the Holy Spirit on our behalf. And he says, look, encourage them. Remind them of our goodness. Remind them they're forgiven. That's what's going on right now. And we take communion together not to be saved, but because we are saved. We don't do this in order to get a position in the family of God. We do this because we have been a given a position in the family of God. And the problem is, as you probably have guessed, Christians have a tendency to forget why we're here because of Jesus. Even while the disciples were hiding and the crowds were gone and screaming crucify him, even while he was being mocked and the only people at his crucifixion was a couple of his disciples that were only there to take care of his mother and a couple other ladies who were there to worship. And the only reason he did it is because his father wanted him to save you and I. And I want to be clear that this morning that if you are gay or an adulterer or addicted to pornography, if you're hate-filled, if you're a socialist, if you're a liberal, if you're a libertarian, if you are a Democrat, if you are a Republican, he died for you. 
because none of those things will save you. There's a secret truth that you know as a non-believer. Actually, even Christians struggle with it. And that is the more you indulge in your flesh and the more you choose to live by it, whether it be alcohol or sex or the more of it you need, it never satisfies. Sin doesn't satisfy. It, it gives temporary relief, but the hangover is devastating. Running to Jesus takes faith. Thank you. It takes belief that what he has to offer is way better. It goes against trusting your senses. It's trusting his promises. It's all about Jesus. It is not about Carpenter's Way. It's not about Baptists. It's not about Assemblies of God. It's about Jesus. And we are here as a Baptist church. Not good at it, but as a Baptist church to tell you not to become a Baptist. But we beg of you to become a child of God. As you are. In your sin. You're not a surprise. He died for you while you were yet a sinner. He loves you. And the people around you, if you have lunch with them, will tell you that their sin is just as pretty nasty as yours. And they're saved. Jesus did this so that we would know that if he was willing to pay the price for 33 and a half years of putting up with our mess, he's pretty serious about redeeming you. If you don't know him today, if you're watching on the internet, I beg of you, just call out to him. The thief on the cross said, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This, this guy here who gets saved, all he did was fall at his feet and thank him for what he did. There aren't magic words, no matter what Billy Graham said. And I love Billy Graham. An acknowledgement that you're a sinner and a reality he's the only one that can save you. That's all it takes. Call on the name of the Lord, my friend. Don't call on the name of the Lord of the, of the church. Call on the name of the Lord. Hey, brothers and sisters, that's all we ever did right. Right? That's the one thing that will carry us a thousand years from now. Putting our faith in God. We can never afford to forget that because some of us not necessarily in this room have. We're not better than anybody. We've just been, our blindness has been made light. Let's take this to remember that fact. Thank you, Father, for saving us. And I'm afraid that I would probably be one of the nine going, I'll fix society first. I'll, I'll get back in the community. I'll, like, I'll, I'll start the process of cleansing, of ceremonial cleansing. It's going to take seven days. <coughs> so I'm going to go back to the priest, and then, I'll, and then I'll find Jesus and we can talk more. May you be my priority and my passion. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. After he broke the bread, he took a cup of wine, and he held it up to the disciples, and he said, look, this is wine, but this is really my blood. Drink all of it. And his point was that it was through the shedding of blood that there would be forgiveness for sin. Jesus doesn't just cover sin, my friends. He, he removes it. Do you remember that, Christians? He doesn't just heal your diseases. He's healed your soul. Spend some time with him right now. 
Can we sing together Amazing Grace? You guys know the first verse. Just the traditional one. Amazing Grace, how every reason to believe that he heard you sing that and he smiled on his throne and went, Dad, you hear them? They're singing about us. You ever think about what it was like on the Last Supper? <laughs> the disciples are sitting around the table and still mad at each other because James and John just got their mommy to ask who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. <laughs> Judas gets up and he leaves the table after Jesus makes him the man of honor there. Peter starts debating with Jesus after what he said as to whether or not what he said was true if he deny him. He's offended. How dare you doubt me, Jesus? Jesus looks around at the table, and he doesn't look back. If anything I said this morning discourages your walk with God because you think you're worse than somebody else, you need to read the story of the Last Supper one more time. It is a mess. I mean like a real mess. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, time out, Father. Have you really looked at this group? He doesn't say that. He looks at Peter after Peter says he would never deny him. And he says, I'll see you in Galilee, son. <laughs> and you know Galilee. It's where they, he had breakfast for him. And he said, do you love me, Peter? See you in Galilee, son. You may be the worst Christian there ever was, but to you, Jesus says, see you in Galilee, son. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace, even for your kids. Give us hearts that want to run back to you like the Samaritan. Make us more like the Samaritan than the Jews. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Back to life, right? We're going to go into Bible study in about five minutes, and you're going to talk about this. Then you're going to go on to life. Mission field, that's where we serve, right? Go get them, folks. They need Jesus. 
I'm going to ask the elders to make their way to the doors. Uh, after communion, each time, uh, or most of the time, we do what we call a benevolence offering. There are those in our congregation who are hurting financially, and this goes to them. This uh, helps people out, and uh, if you're able to, give some. Great. If not, that's okay, too. Uh, love you guys. What a privilege it is to walk together. What a privilege. Have a great day, you guys. God bless you.